0: I've worked with all these very senior, very smart Google engineers, and I'd still take Tom any day of the week. And so I felt like one day he's going to invent something that changes the world. And if I'm standing next to him when that happens, then I can take half the credit. And that'll be really good for me. So I didn't have any idea what company we were going to start or even if it was going to be a company. I just started pitching him on moving to California. I was trying to explain to him that no matter how good the machine learning was, Bing was never going to (laughs) win. And uh, once he kind of realized that, he, he bailed on Microsoft, also left his city and his friends and his girlfriend and moved to San Francisco to work on a company with me. And I remember showing up at his, well, first of all, actually, so he arrives at two in the morning that night, uh, texts me, I've made it to California, can I sleep on your couch? I am asleep and I miss the text, as one does at two in the morning. And, uh, And he slept in the car that night. And I'm still, like six, seven years later, I'm still hearing about it. It's like, you're paying for drinks tonight because I had to sleep in the car that one night in 2011 or whatever it was. And we spent a year probably on just bad business ideas that didn't work out. And Periscope was actually a side project. Uh, It was to look at the data from from the other things that we had in market. And uh, it took off all on its own. It became the little side project they could. I had people looking at it over my shoulder and being like, what's this? Can I use it? I finally got the bright idea to charge someone for it. And they paid me 20 grand. And I was like, this is incredible. Um, And that's how we got started.
1: Welcome to 14 Minutes of SAS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. In this episode, we're in the Web Summit in Lisbon and we're talking with Harry Glazer, who is now CMO and GM of SciSense. but in the interview, he was actually the CEO of Periscope, which was acquired shortly afterwards by SciSense for 34 million US dollars. Having absorbed Periscope data, SciSense is now a company with revenues well north of 100 million annual recurring and 750 employees. Thanks, a million, for being with us, Harry. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you, Stephen.
0: Tell me uh, a little bit of your life, uh, all the way up to you joining Google. Uh, sure. So where to start? I guess uh, I was one of those kids who was taking apart the VCR and taking apart the telephone. And you know, I would have told you at the time that I'm taking them apart to learn how they work and put them back together. But I think my parents would tell you that none of those things actually ever got put back together. Um, but they were instrumental. You know, they uh, found me a computer camp to go to when I was, I don't know, 13 years old. And that was when I first started programming. And I was hooked. And you know, that's the very early days of the Internet, dating myself a little bit, um, you know, learning a little bit of C code on IRC and stuff like that, you know, like that stuff. And that was super fun. Um, and I thought I was hot shit. And then, uh, you know, let me ask you, Stephen, is it okay to curse on your podcast? It's absolutely cool. All right. (laughs) So I thought I was hot shit. We don't care. (laughs) Sounds sounds good. And um, and then I went to college and uh, to to study computer science. I went to the University of Rochester, and I learned that I was not hot shit at all and that, you know, all these kids were ahead of me. And uh, that was a really formative um, four years for me, both in terms of the work I was able to do that really felt like... um, you know, my calling and also my peer group, and especially uh, my roommate all four years, Tom O'Neill, who's now my co-founder and our CTO, who was just absolutely unbelievably talented and incredible to work with those four years. And so that's how we met, and that was a great time. And then then after school, I accepted a job offer at Google, which was really lucky for me because I had two job offers. This is 2007, 2008, so it's not, the internet industry was not booming. And uh, I had a router manufacturer, local to Rochester, who was gonna pay me to write firmware, and I was really excited to get that job offer because I was gonna get, someone's gonna pay me money to write code, that was gonna be great. And then out of the blue, I got this offer from Google, and so of course I did that, and I packed my bags and flew west and joined Google, and uh, yeah, it was the start of my professional life. And that experience you had in Google, uh, in product management,
1: um, was that very formative for you in terms of helping you make that leap into becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah,
0: you know, when I started at Google, Uh, It was the first year that they had what they called associate product managers, which were PMs that they hired directly out of school. And uh, they started the program late, and so they didn't have their own applicants. And so they went trolling through the the new grad software engineers, asking them if they wanted to be APMs instead. And I I kept asking them, what's a product manager? And they kept saying things, oh you know understand the user and coordinate the product development and i was like i don't understand what any of that means i still didn't understand what any of it meant so i said yes it's <laughs> just like sure absolutely let's try this and it was great it, uh, it worked dead for you right yeah yeah and so I mean, google was formative for me it was it was formative in many positive ways and also there were some things about the culture that i consciously decided to avoid when we started periscope data but i would say the learning experience of learning technology from people who were inventing it in real time in front of you at massive scale. I worked on a hugely data-driven team. I worked on a team that actually uh, ran the A-B test on the search results page to maximize click-through and revenue on the ads, and we would routinely look at hundreds of metrics for every single product launch, Um, and so getting really good at data from the masters there too, and then just knowing what successful software development in a professional setting really looks like, Um, and having a... High bar for a high-performing product and engineering team. Um, all things I got from Google. Also, my professional network. All of our first employees and all of our first investors came from Google.
1: Wow. So you, a lot of tremendous things coming out of Google. What are the one or two cultural changes that you brought to Periscope yeah. that you did that you didn't really buy? Into? I mean,
0: we wanted to have a um, we wanted to have a kind and positive working environment. We wanted to have a very welcoming and inclusive working environment and. Starting in the relatively early days, we wanted to build a really diverse team and not be sort of part of the problem that I think the industry, and especially the industry in California, has. Um, And those were things where maybe I learned more what not to do from Google than what to do. Very good. Uh, So tell us about Periscope Day 2.
1: Why did you decide to do it? And what exactly does it bring to the market?
0: The genius insight that I had in the early days was I really wanted to work with Tom again. And so I, uh, I had been working with Tom all those four years in college, and as I said, it was a very challenging experience for me just keeping up with him. And he went to work at Microsoft after school, and he actually worked on the machine learning behind the Bing search engine. And uh, after three or four years at Google, the sort of key insight was um, I've worked with all these very senior, very smart Google engineers, and I'd still take Tom any day of the week. And so I felt like one day he's going to invent something that changes the world, and if I'm standing next to him when that happens, then I can take half the credit, and that'll be really good for me. So I didn't have any idea what company we were gonna start or even if it was gonna be a company. I just started pitching him on moving to California. I was trying to explain to him that no matter how good the machine learning was, Bing was never gonna win. And uh, once he kind of realized that, he, he bailed on Microsoft, also left his city and his friends and his girlfriend and moved to San Francisco to work on a company with me. And I remember showing up at his, well, first of all, actually. So he arrives at two in the morning that night, uh, texts me, I've made it to California, can I sleep on your couch? I am asleep, and I missed the text, as one does at two in the morning, and uh, and he slept in the car that night, and I'm still, like, six, seven years later, I'm still hearing about it. It's like, you're paying for drinks tonight because I had to sleep in the car that one night in 2011 or whatever it was. Anyway, so I remember showing up at his, um, you know, at his apartment the next day, and um, we had no idea what we were going to do, and we started brainstorming business ideas one after another, and they all failed, and we spent a year probably on just bad business ideas that didn't work out. And Periscope was actually a side project. Uh, it was to look at the data from, um, from the other things that we had in market, and uh, it took off all on its own. It became the little side project they could. I had people looking at it over my shoulder and being like, what's this? Can I use it? <laughs> I finally got the bright idea to charge someone for it, and they paid me 20 grand, and I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> um, and that's how we got started. That's a great That's a great story. and. Um you know, you, you its
1: quite a brave move, uh, get going into the whole business intelligence platform space. Sure. Um, you know, companies like Looker, Domo, uh, SciSense, I inter- interviewed Adi Azaria uh, from, from Sense, um, and you were educating me about a, another uh, well-respected product from Microsoft as well. Um, you know, you know, what what is it um, that Periscope data? Uh, is bringing to the market that is, gives it a, a you know a great shot to push ahead and, sure. and really differentiate itself from all of these guys.
0: So it's funny I mean when we started we built Periscope as a side project to look at the other data um, we based it on the internal tooling that Google and Microsoft had that we were used to using and what we did not know at the time but we came to realize is that Google and Microsoft were maybe five years ahead of the industry in terms of the capabilities they brought to the table and so they had this like I said, that this ethic of we will look at huge reams of data to make every decision, and every decision will be very data-driven. And then we got out into the world, and we wanted to look at the data from our own products, and we looked at some of the companies that you named, you know, because we just wanted to use something for ourselves. And sure. they're stuck in this old world of business intelligence, which it turns out has been around since the 80s or so, which is like model your data up front, pipeline it through my BI platform, and look at your templated dashboards at the end. You decide up front what 10 dashboards you want to look at, you pipeline your data to support those 10 dashboards, and then you can look at them. But if you want to answer new questions every day, Uber uses our product to route, to route cars around cities. Flexport uses our product to route ships around the world. Uh, Crisis Text Line uses it to save lives, which I think is the coolest thing ever. These involve totally novel questions, and then not just how much revenue did I get yesterday. And the industry was not set up to support that. Now, the industry got there five years later because it you know. Uh, AWS and Amazon Redshift and Snowflake and these databases and data storage systems, and we just happened to be in a really good spot when they did because we had based this platform off of things that were happening at companies that were already working that way. So, you, so your platform is particularly
1: strong at real-time insights. It's it's really agile and not just looking at and
0: and, uh, examining historical data. I think agile is a really good word for it. It's very, very fast to answer new kinds of questions, whatever new kinds of questions you want. And it's very, very flexible, meaning there are no questions you can't answer in Periscope. That's an ethos that we have on the product team. And so it's not just about, well, when we implemented this product, we decided that these are the 10 dashboards, so these are the 10 dashboards. It's about you you can make up a new question tomorrow and be able to answer it. Now, you're H- HQ'd and you, and you live in San Francisco like so many people yeah. I talk to, uh,
1: it's getting very expensive to build, build your teams there even though you've got access to loads of VC. What do you think of the remote movement and their ability to hire in lower cost centers and, and uh, uh, scale maybe slightly slower uh, because they tend to bootstrap? Um, what do you think of that movement and do you have any remote employees in, in your company?
0: We have a couple of remote employees, but we're not a remote company. Uh, the remote employees will tend to be, a, you know, a star software engineer who's been with us for a couple of years and moved somewhere, and we keep that person, so we're happy to support them remote, but we don't hire remote. Um, and, you know, my observation in the industry is everybody who's in San Francisco is looking to scale outside of San Francisco, and everybody who's outside of San Francisco is looking to move to San Francisco. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Um, we would not have been successful if we hadn't started there. The, the network there, the optimism and the openness to new crazy ideas, the openness to failure as an institution, and then the access to capital. All of that is really, really strong. But it is really expensive. And so getting getting started there and then starting scaling up other offices elsewhere is our plan. Um, I think we'll go at least domestic and maybe international next year. Uh, and that'll be really good. I don't know if I have a strong opinion on remote. You know, if it works, I think it sounds great. I do know of some success stories like GitHub, um, but I haven't Tried it myself, and uh, I don't know if it would work, if it would work for our culture.
1: Okay, that's very interesting. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, your daily routine, Harry. <laughs> I, I bet it's I bet it's variable and very busy. But what are the what are the constants?
0: Well, it's gone to shit recently because I'm doing all these things like this. But and so you know, my daily routine is fly to Europe for you know a speaking <laughs> engagement, and some press meetings. Um, the one thing that I will say about daily routine is. Um, Maybe two years ago, I started when the company started really scaling fast. Uh, I started working out every single morning, and that has been a game changer. Just, just for my stress level, for my energy level, and my and my optimism in the office. Um, I, that I wouldn't trade that for anything. I think what that's time? really great.
1: What time of the day?
0: God, it changes right now. About seven thirty, and um, in, in the office by nine. And then the other thing I will say is, I'm an introvert in an extrovert's job. I. Um, you know my, my natural resting state is to be reading you know in a quiet room. but I have this job where I talk to you and I have big meetings at, at, uh, at headquarters, and I um, speak to large audiences. And uh, you know, the other piece of routine that really works for me is is quiet weekends. I'll spend all of Sunday you know on the roof deck in my building reading a book or something like that. And I recommend that a lot to founders. you know a lot of software engineers start companies and they' they're sort of quiet folks. And you can absolutely get there, and you can get good at this, and there's some things that will help you do it, like carving out some time for yourselves once a week.
1: Okay, great. What? Well, give me one personal quality um, uh, from your perspective that's really helped you get to where you are today, right?
0: I think it has to be grit. I think it has to be just never quitting, never giving up, and that's both overall. As I said, we spent a year with no money grinding out product ideas that didn't work. That wasn't that much fun, and uh, I think... The attitude of never giving up and never quitting. And then, so that's on a macro scale, but then on a micro scale, projects, you know, a a project doesn't succeed or a quarter is not going well or something like that. And just always having the attitude of, okay, well, we need to make a plan and we need to execute better and we need to get over this hill and never having the attitude of, well, we're screwed. Um, I see a lot of early stage companies fail, as we all do. And I think most of the time, the founders give up prematurely. Very interesting.
1: Actually, earlier today, uh, Mike Molinette, co-founder of Branch, said to me, uh, Grit was his favorite book. And uh, okay, yeah. so it's the it's, it's second uh, Grit reference in a row. Very nice. Um, so apart from Grit, could you think of one other, one or two other things that you might advise somebody jumping into entrepreneurship in, in the SaaS world today?
0: The other thing that jumps to mind is uh, the co-founder relationship. And I think one of the things that really worked for us was Tom and I had a relationship going back uh, quite a ways, quite a long time. And there was a ton of trust there. And I think a few things. One, you have to have a co founder that you trust implicitly and absolutely. And two, I like to see co founding teams where the first fight is not about the company. We were fighting about, I'm a messy person and Tom is a very neat person, and that was an issue when we were roommates. And, you know, that having, Having had the history of getting over fights and knowing that we will get past it and that it's not necessarily the end of the company, and I'm not worried about him quitting just because we're having a serious disagreement, all that is really critical. Again, the early days are full of a lot of despair and you need a lot of grit to get through it and that trust relationship is critical. That's great. Well, if somebody
1: was able to see you, uh, Harry,
0: you don't look messy and you certainly don't,
1: <laughs> and you're certainly not a messy communicator. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks a million for giving
0: us your time here in 14 Minutes. Of Thank start. you, Stephen. Really appreciate your time.
1: In the next episode, we move from Web Summit in Lisbon to the Dublin Tech Summit where we'll be talking with Phil Chambers, CEO and co-founder at Picon, which is a people analytics and employee engagement software. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills and to Ketsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins, If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.